Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Sometimes when, when, when people ask me, how are you doing? And I say, oh, I'm doing really well. I had a couple of people sometimes say, how come every time I ask you how you're doing, you say really well? And I said, because it's the truth. And, um, and there was one time where someone knew about something that was going on. They said, yeah, but this is happening. Like, why don't you, like, why doesn't that affect you? Or why don't you talk about that? <clears throat> and I, I didn't have an answer for him right then, but I started thinking about it later. And I thought, well, if that was what dictated whether I was doing well or not, then I probably would talk about that. If that was the thing that decided whether or not I was doing good, then I'd probably be at the mercy of discussing that thing, and I would probably have to answer with, well, I'm not doing so good, and here's why. But the truth of the matter is, is none of that stuff changes the fact that Jesus came. None of that stuff changes what He promised me. None of that stuff changes the fact that He said that He would work everything for my good because I love Him and I'm called according to His purpose. And not that He caused everything for my good, but that He would work everything for my good. Everything. So even if there's something going on in my life that at the moment I can't see the goodness in it, I can look towards it with expectancy and I can say that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I will see His goodness through this. And it's an opportunity for me to do one of two things. Either freak out, take the responsibility on myself and allow that situation to determine how I live, how I respond, and how I act. Or I can actually choose to expect it and say, okay, so here's an opportunity for God to do what He promised. Because he said he would work all things for my good. And even when I don't see how. I used to limit whether or not I would expect something from God, whether or not I could see the way that it could happen. So if I looked at a situation, you know, it was like, oh, I could see how God could turn this around. I could see how God could work this for good. Then I had a lot of faith and expectancy for good. But if I couldn't see it, then I would limit my ability to actually be excited about God doing something and that would start to dictate the way that I felt. But I've realized something that even when I can't see, if I walk by faith and not by sight, that He is able to do something. And usually the times that I couldn't see a way that He would work it out or the times that He worked something that was so amazing, I wouldn't have been able to believe it if I would have saw it. It was above and beyond anything I could have expected. So the truth of the matter is, is when someone asks you how you're doing, you're really doing well. You really are. In the moment, you may not feel like you're doing well, but thank God that your feelings are not the, the, the Lord of your life, that Jesus is. Amen. And that He said that you're seated with Him in heavenly places, that He's on the throne, and that ultimately anything that's going on in our lives is no match for the promises and the hope that we have in Him. See, I, I talk like that because it's the truth. It's real. It's real how I feel. Like, when I look at things and I see a situation, I can't help it. It's not me trying to be holy and it's not me trying to work something up and it's not living in denial. Well, it is in a way, but I'm not living in denial like, well, you're just in denial. No, I'm, I'm actually in acceptance. I've accepted that every word that comes from his mouth is true, even if what I see in my life doesn't reflect it at the moment. Because I have to deny something in this life. Every one of us does. Every one of us, at some point in your life, you are going to have to deny something. You're either going to deny God's Word is true, or you're going to deny that what you see that doesn't line up with His Word is true. You can't believe both because they're going to be in opposition to each other at some point in your life. And you will have to live in denial. And some people will say, well, you know, be real. What's more real? It says that we live not for things that we see, but that which is unseen. For things that are seen are temporal, but that which is unseen is forever. 
That's truth. The things that I cannot see but I know are true because he said them is more real and more true than the things that I see that are right in front of me. I promise you, it's not just saying this because there's nothing that happens to be going on in this moment. It's saying this because even when there were things going on, the goodness of God has always changed things for the better and worked things out for my good, even when I couldn't understand it or see it. So if there's a lack of hope somewhere in you right now, it's because you've settled in your heart that God either doesn't care or can't do something about it. That He either isn't willing or isn't able to do something. Because if you believe He's willing, and if you believe He's able, there is never an opportunity for hopelessness ever in your life. Your days of hopelessness for the born-again believer who has entrusted their life to Him and made Him the Lord and Savior of their life are over. They're over. They're supposed to be. It's like, you know, King David's looking around and everything's wrong. Everything. That's what Dylan was talking about when he said, why so downcast, oh my soul? Well, his soul could have answered back and said, dude, why so downcast? You're being chased from cave to cave by an evil king who the Spirit of God has departed. He's sworn to kill you. He's jealous of you. He's given your wife to be with another man. He's taken everything that you loved and hold dear. And he has pledged himself and he has set the country against you so that everywhere you go, you're being hunted and people are telling him where you are. He's constantly having spies report on you. Why do you think I'm downcast? But he's reminding his soul, why are you, why he's asking his soul, like legitly, he's wondering, why am I feeling this way? Because the same David would look around and say, I would have despaired. I want this just to be our attitude. Like, like, let this get so deep inside of us, this belief that he really is who he said he is, and that he's really capable of doing what he said he would do, and that he really wants to do what he said he would do. And not just that he can, like anybody that believes that God spoke and the sun came out of his mouth believes he can do anything. But believing that he actually not only can, but that he wants to. That it is his idea, that the things we read in Scripture are not something that we twisted his arm and he penned out through a man because we were forced into it was actually his idea and it's a revelation of his heart towards us and that these things were his idea and so david looks around and says why are you so downcast and then he he understands it's like he has this moment of clarity and he understands oh i get it i know why you feel that way and you know what soul i would feel the same way too I would despair had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That gets so deep inside of you. It's like, man, you look around and you understand. And every time you see something that could cause despair, you're the person with hope. And the person with hope has the most influence because you see something that other people can't see. And there has to be people who have the hope. Look, if, if Christ used the hope of glory, then that means you have to see things differently when you look at a situation. There has to be something that you see that other people don't that causes hope to rise in them as well as you. Because freely you've received, now freely you give. That's why Jesus sent us in the world. That's why Jesus was sent into the world. It's because God gives. Unto us a child is born. Unto us this day a Savior is given. It's the revelation of God. He's a giver because God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Not so that He could love you. Because He loved you, He gave His Son. It's who He is. It's His nature. Every good and perfect gift. You guys ever been to a white elephant? You know what a white elephant is? Who knows what it is? I'm going to explain it for those of you that don't. But a white elephant gives exchange. That's where people have given you things over the years that you didn't want. Yeah, gift exchange, right? White elephant, gift exchange, all these, there's different words for it, right? But, 
But it's this idea that over the years, people have given you things that you don't want and you have no use for. And so there's this opportunity for you to come and exchange that for something that maybe you would want. Jesus is the ultimate gift. Think about it. Over the years, what have people given you that you don't want, but you've taken it because they've given it to you? Shame and guilt, lack of identity, being told you're a failure, being told that you'll never be anything, being told that you are a screw-up because you've screwed up, being told that you'll never amount to anything, being told that you should be guilty, that you should be ashamed of yourself, that you shouldn't dare to ever think that God could or would bless you because how could He use that you'll never be used for anything? How many of you guys have ever been given that stuff over the years? Be honest. Come on, you guys. Like A few of us at least because I know I have like people will give you things and sometimes they're dressed up in nice little boxes sometimes it's people who come to you and it's not like the devil with horns and a forked tongue it's somebody who comes to you and it looks nice and it looks right and in the name of God sometimes even they've given you things that you over the years have realized I don't want that but you hold on to it this is my question Why does anybody have gifts at these white elephant exchanges that they don't want? Because we always hold on to things that people give us. And we keep them. And it's not like you were like, well, I'll keep that. That way when there's a gift exchange, I'll have a crappy gift to bring. (laughs) It's just what you do. People come along and they say things to you. Sometimes it starts as a child. There's some people in here who have listened to something that people gave them since they were a kid and believed it. And to this day, they still believe it. And they still think that they can't rise above the level that they see because of something they believed when they were a kid. The good news is it doesn't matter what it is that you struggle with. It doesn't matter what people gave you. If it was guilt, if it was shame, if it was condemnation, if it was lack of identity, if it was being told that you would never be anything, if it was being told that you're this way and that's not the way our family is and that's for some people but not for us and all these lies that people listen to and believe over their lives if you've been given that stuff you can take that stuff and you can actually exchange it because jesus came and he is god's gift to humanity and you can take whatever it is that someone's giving you that you don't want and that is not you and you can give that and god every single time gives us a good and perfect gift because every good and perfect gift comes from him the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning and the gift that he gives you it completely replaces the crappy thing that you're giving him for my mom who might listen to the podcast i used that word twice today and i'm sorry she once told me you shouldn't say that word from the stage when you're preaching she didn't say it like that she actually said it really nicely but i heard it like that That's why Jesus said, be careful how you hear, because a lot of times we hear things in a way that people really don't mean them. You know what the truth of the matter is? Is sometimes it's a good thing to hear them in a way that people didn't mean them. You know that if you actually, if your eye is single and you choose to let everything that's said to you be a blessing to you, you can take even that which the enemy meant for good and use it for your, meant evil and use it for your good. Like when someone says something to you, you can actually take that and you can let it be an encouragement to you. Did you paint that painting? You could hear it like that, or you could hear, did you paint that painting? (laughs) Just choose to believe the best, even if they meant it as an insult. It'll just bless you. (laughs) Like when someone's trying to insult you and they say something sarcastic and you just take it as truth and you thank them for it, that's heaping hot coals upon their head. 
That's the way that loving your enemies heaps hot coals upon their head. Listen, if you've ever loved somebody to heap hot coals upon their head, you, you've missed the point. Right? Like, you, you, you don't love them so that it's a promise. It's just like giving to get. If you're giving to get, you've missed the point. There's a promise there that given you shall be given unto you, but that's not the motivation. There's a promise there that it's like keeping hot coals upon their head, but if you're doing it for that purpose, I promise you're probably not really loving them. You're just trying to manipulate a system because you want to see them with a burnt head. <laughs> and then you miss out because you're not doing it out of love, so God isn't required to put the hot coals upon their head, you know? Like... It doesn't work like that. But if you would just actually choose that it doesn't matter what people's intentions are, it doesn't matter what people say to me, I'm going to choose to receive it in a way that blesses me. And someone looks at you and they give you an insult, a sarcastic insult, or someone says something to you, you can actually love them through that and you can receive from it. If you can take something two ways and one of them is horrible and one of them is great, choose to take it the great way even if they meant it in the horrible way. Let love cover a multitude of sin love hopes all things believes all things all right i gotta reel it in if you have your bibles i'll make it official we'll open it up to the scriptures and we'll read from the word luke chapter 1 verse 26 this is christmas so we're going to read from luke um Chapter 1, starting verse 26, says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Alright, move ahead to chapter 2 real quick. At the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning his child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. I thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, I ask that our ears would be open to hear and our our, our minds to comprehend and understand and our hearts to receive that, that we would be good soil, that the seed of Your Word, that Your truth, that Your life would fall in our hearts and that it would produce fruit in our lives that a world that does not know You but needs to would taste the fruit of our lives and know that You're good. That Your kindness would lead them to change the way that they think. That those that think they know You but have a bad idea of who you are because you've been poorly represented, would see the fruit of the life of somebody laid down following Jesus and they would taste that fruit and they would know that you're good. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the angel comes to Mary and, and I, always, I always marvel at this like, you look at people who did amazing things for God in the Bible, and you look at like they usually get told that this thing's going to happen before it does, and then they have to humble themselves. It's like, David, you're going to be the king, you're anointed, now go serve your brothers and be ridiculed by them and go to the backside of the hill and be alone with the sheep, even though you are the anointed king, even though the favor of God now rests upon you and the anointing of God rests upon you as a king. You go now to the back side of the hill where no one knows who you are. Spend your time there. Serve a king who doesn't serve the Lord anymore. Be chaste. Humble yourself. Even when his life is handed to you in a cave, choose to do the right thing. Trust that in my time, I'll promote you. So Mary has one of these kind of things, right? Where the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, Blessed are you among women. In other words, among all the women in the earth, you have been chosen to bring forth the Messiah. That's a pretty amazing thing. She's a young girl, according to biblical scholars. At that time, she would have probably been a teenager. And she's going to be married to this man, Joseph, who would have been older than her probably at the time. And like... We know the end from the beginning because we can read it in the Bible, but you have to imagine this teenage girl being told by an angel that she's going to become impregnated with a baby and she knows that she's never slept with a man and she's betrothed to a man who she's never slept with, who he knows he's never slept with her. And she's going to have a baby. And she's going to have to explain this to him. And she doesn't have the advantage of knowing that an angel is going to appear to him And talk to him. She just has to take God at His Word. And she has a choice to make. And she says, let it be done to me as you've spoken. She just accepts what God has said to her. 
ponders it in her heart. And then it's like she becomes pregnant and she talks to Joseph and Joseph's going to put her away. He's, he's an honorable man. He's going to quietly, not publicly shame her, not have her treated like an adulteress, all those things that he could have done. right? Like if she came to him and said, listen, I'm pregnant. It's not yours. It's not any other man's either. Well, whose is it? that had to be an awkward conversation so you want me to believe you were laying in your bed and the Holy Spirit came upon you and now you're pregnant and you've never been with anybody right that's exactly what happened and Joseph decides okay I don't know exactly what's going on here but I'm not going to have her treated like an adulteress I'm not going to have her brought to the edge of town and stoned. So you think about it. At the time, the punishment for adultery was that she would be stoned to death. Joseph chose. I'm not going to do that. He displays the heart of the Father and mercy triumphs over judgment. And he says, I'm going to send her away so that she can go off and have the baby and not be treated like an adulteress and not be treated wrongly. Joseph loved Mary. And then an angel appears to him and says, listen, it's really like she's saying. The the child that's inside of her is the Son of God and you're going to be His Father and you're going to raise Him. And so Mary now is getting more and more pregnant and the decree goes out says everybody has to go back to the place of their lineage and they have to be counted and so Mary is now quite pregnant young teenage girl and she gets told that she has to travel to another town and and I love that Mary doesn't do what so many of us would do if we felt like we had been the chosen one of God and had the anointing of God on our lives. And rather than putting herself in a position of saying, I'm not getting on a donkey and traveling when I have the Son of God inside of me, she humbles herself and she does what's asked of her. And in doing so, she makes sure that she's exactly where she's supposed to be when it's time for the child to be born so that he could be born exactly where the prophet said he would be born. What if she hadn't? What if she would have had an attitude and said, I'm the chosen one. The angel told me that. I have the Son of God inside of me. And if you think I'm getting on a donkey because some evil dictator says I have to go to your hometown and be counted, you got another thing coming. See, don't ever let the anointing of God or what God's spoken over your life be something that you use to shortcut and place yourself out from under the authority He's placed you under. Or you may not end up in the place you're supposed to be at the time you're supposed to be there when He wants to bring something forth through you. Mary doesn't do that. She humbles herself. And they end up right where they're supposed to be. And Jesus is born right where He's supposed to be born. And every single prophecy of His birth and where He would be born and how He would be born comes to pass because of the humility of a girl named Mary and the mercy and the love of a man named Joseph. 
It's always, it's Christmas, it's like the story everyone knows, right? Most pastors say that they hate Christmas and Easter. Not hate it, but hate the message for Christmas and Easter because how do you present something that people haven't heard before? And there's this, this tension that you feel sometimes to come up with a message that maybe no one's heard. But, but I think it's so obvious and so right in front of us and so straightforward that for me to try to come up with a cute way to present it would probably do it a disjustice. So Jesus is born and, and an angel appears to the shepherd. The shepherds and and says to them, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men." So I just started looking that up and thinking about what the angels had declared: peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And I, you know, there's a lot of people who would read that, and if they don't understand what the angels were talking about, it seems like what the angels said wasn't true, because certainly peace didn't begin that day between men. And certainly, peace still doesn't reign on the earth right now. In fact, as time goes on, it becomes less and less peaceful in this earth that we live in. And so, and, and, and think about this. Now, Jesus Himself said, don't think that I came to bring peace, but a sword. Or division is what Luke's Gospel says. Others say sword. For it will put man against wife. It will put children against parents. And, and I will divide. And so Jesus Himself said He didn't come to bring peace between men. He actually said that His coming would actually bring division amongst men. And trust me, if you followed Jesus for any length of time, it's cost you relationships. If, you haven't, if it hasn't cost you friendships or relationships yet following Jesus, either you haven't been following Him the way Jesus wanted you to and, and foresaw that you would, or you haven't followed Him that long, I promise you if you keep following Him, it will cost you relationships. It will cost you things on this earth. Jesus promised it would. Like When Jesus said that, it wasn't like some nice idea. He's saying that so that when it happens, you can take comfort in knowing that it's not because you did something wrong. It's actually because you're following Him and what He said actually now has meaning in your life. Like, woe to you when all men speak well of you. If everybody speaks well of you, for this is how their fathers treated the false prophets of old. If everyone speaks well of you, everywhere you go, chances are you're not telling somebody the truth. You're like the false prophets of old telling them what they want to hear. Peace, peace, when there was no peace. And that's why everyone spoke well of them because they walked into a room and figured out what do these people want to hear, not walked into a room and said, God, what do these people need to hear? That word's in there to comfort you so that when you do speak truth to people in love, but truth, and people come against you or it causes division, you can say, Jesus said this would happen if I followed Him. And you can find comfort in knowing that you actually are following Him so closely that the things He said would happen are starting to happen in your life. And so the, the angel said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And He said this to the shepherds and I, I just looked at that in the original language and what they were saying. and said glory, glory and honor, praise, worship to God. In the highest and on earth, that word earth there means the soil or solid part, the whole of the globe, including the applicants or the occupants. Peace, that word peace is delight, prosperity, rest, quietness, things set at one again. 
goodwill, satisfaction and kindness towards. And then there's this, this little two-letter word in the Hebrew that's a preposition that's added on to the end of those words that they speak. And it's the word en. And in that original pre- uh, language, it denotes a fixed position that never changes. So this is what they were saying. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, see people have said, oh, the real translation is uh, peace on earth towards men of goodwill. That's not what the original language says. It says that peace and goodwill have come to earth from the Father towards men. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just like it was when you sacrificed in the Old Testament and the sins were atoned for of the year that had passed and found His favor for another year going forward. This was saying that from this day forward, the sacrifice had now come to earth and because Jesus had come to earth, the plan of redemption was being put into motion and now the fixed position of God towards man was one of peace and goodwill and hope and prosperity and delight and that things were restored and everything that was once has now been set back at one again forever and the shepherds would have heard this in the original language and understood that and that's why it says in everywhere they went they told what the angels had told them and many people were coming and astounded by what the shepherds preached why because they were preaching the gospel for the very first time people were hearing that the heart of the father was now towards the children and all the prophecies were coming true and that now on earth from God's perspective towards man not from man to man there were still wars going on. There still would be many wars. It's not that men now had peace with, with each other. It was now that from God towards earth, there was peace and goodwill. And it was a fixed position of the Father. He would never again turn. That from now forward to the end of time, the fixed position of the Father towards men was one of hope and prosperity and goodwill and peace. And that it would never change. And that was amazing for them. And so, in, in Isaiah 50, 53 and 54, there's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. And in verse 9 of chapter 54, God says this. He's prophesying about the coming of Jesus. If you read through the whole chapter 53 and 54, it's a prophecy of Jesus coming. And in there He says, For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Jesus is saying that when the prophecy, or God is saying that when the prophecy is fulfilled, He will not be angry and rebuke His children anymore, just as He swore to Noah that He would never again flood the earth. That it was a fixed position that He would never again flood the earth. So He is saying, I will never again, once this prophecy is fulfilled and the Christ has come and He bears our stripes and He takes our death and He takes our sin on the cross, I will never again be angry with my children. See, they know the prophecies. We don't, we, we, like, we didn't read and study and hang on every word of these prophecies the way the people of the Old Testament did. They would read these prophecies and they would hear these prophecies taught and they knew that there was this day coming that was prophesied and everybody has been waiting for it. The enemy's been waiting for it. The people have been waiting for it. Now the Roman Empire is waiting for it because there's these rumblings of this Jesus that's coming who's going to be a king and he's going to sit on the throne of David. And because they say, 
amazing to sit on the throne of David, the Caesar is terrified that he's coming to actually take his physical throne. And so he thinks there's a man coming that's going to overthrow him. And so do many of the Jews. They think he's going to actually be a literal warring king who's going to come and he's going to take over the Roman Empire and he's going to set the Jewish people free and they're no longer going to live under Roman oppression. And so everybody's looking and everybody's waiting and everybody's watching and then the angels burst forth under the scene and they come to the shepherds and they say, this is what was prophesied. And now the peace and the goodwill of the Father has come down to earth on this day. The position of God is changing because the prophecy is being fulfilled and the sacrifice has come and the Lamb is now walking amongst men. And the angels are looking and they see something they haven't seen since the garden. For the very first time since the garden, they see God now dwelling among men. Why? Because Jesus came to restore everything that was broken in the garden. And it's the restoration of God dwelling among men. And so the angels are rejoicing. The shepherds are preaching the Gospel. Herod is freaking out. You ever notice that over time, we talked about this a few Christmases ago, but there's been this prophecy since the garden that there's one coming born of a woman who would crush the head of the enemy. And ever since that prophecy, the enemy's been nervous, wondering when he's going to come, wondering who he is, and looking to find the male child who the favor of God rests upon. And every time he finds him, he goes after him. It's why Cain slew Abel. Because the favor of God rested upon Abel, so he must be the one. And if I can kill him, then I can keep him from crushing my head. It's why the Pharaoh killed all the boys in the land that were under two years old when Moses was born because the favor of God rests upon Moses and he's going to be a leader of God's people and he can see the favor on your life and he's after it. And so he sets this plan in motion to kill all the, two-year-old bo- all the boys two years and under so that Moses would be killed. And he uses Pharaoh to do it because he's after the one who was prophesied that was coming. And then when Jesus is born, once again an evil ruler looks out and says, okay, he's on the earth now. See, the enemy knows he's on the earth now because he's actually heard it when the angels declared it that the Son of God had come. Now he knows for the first time ever that the Son of God has actually been born. Now he knows the one who's going to crush his head is on the earth and he thinks if he can stop him from making it, if he can keep him from growing, if he can kill him now, I'm telling you, when the enemy sees favor on your life and he sees what God's doing in your life, he thinks the easiest time to come and kill it and stop what God planned is to take it out when it's in its infancy and he's after it. I promise you he's going to be after it. And so he's after Jesus and he tries to kill all the boys two years and younger in the kingdom trying to come after David, but, David, but or trying to come after Jesus, but Jesus had escaped. Why? It's because he doesn't want that thing that God started in your life to come to maturity because he's terrified of the results. Because he knows that it's going to crush him. So Herod's freaking. The enemy thinks, okay, here's my chance. And all the while, Jesus is growing, he's getting stronger. He's getting more mature. He's growing in stature and in favor and in wisdom with God and with man. And it's all coming to this one day when the enemy would hatch his plan and do the one thing that would seal his fate forever. 
And that's to shed the blood of the innocent Lamb of God on the cross to take away the sin of the world. See, this is something I, I talk about every Christmas because I just can't get over it. Is that God is a Father and He's watching His only Son the same way I as a father watch my children. He sees the first time that they talk. He hears His first words. He sees the first steps that He takes. You remember when you cheered and you clapped when your kids took steps? Remember that? It, nowadays, everything's on video, right? Everything's on iPhone and recorded. So it's like all these kids are going to grow up seeing all their memories paraded in front of them for the rest of their lives. But back in, in, in my day, like if you wanted to record that, you had to run and get the camcorder, you know, and set it on your shoulder. And it had to be charged, right? Get a VHS in that sucker and, you know. It wasn't so easy to go, oh my gosh, look, they're stepping. So a lot of our first steps didn't get caught on video, but God saw Jesus' first steps and He saw Mary and Joseph clapping and saying, Yay, Jesus! Come on! Come to Mommy! Come on! And they see Him grow up and they see Him talk and He sees that Jesus is... He watches them grow. Like the way that you watched your children, the way I watched my children, God is a Father and He's watching His Son, His only begotten Son, His only Son. He's watching Him as He has these first. His birthday. And, and the first time He makes something with His own hands, He's the son of a carpenter, so He's apprenticed to Him. And, and, he, and he, he makes things and He helps His Father. And then one day He makes His first cup and He brings it to His Father and shows it to Him. And the Father's so so proud of him and the father in heaven is so proud too watching his son he loves him he says this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased he speaks that from heaven he's not a distant parent that was a sperm donor to mary he's a father that watches his son grow and he loves him and he's pleased with him the same way we are with our children. And this is the thing that I can't get over when I, when I look at the Christmas story is that He sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. So He can't see Jesus born without on the same hand seeing Him crucified and beat and tortured. And yet He dispatches angels and He rejoices and all of heaven sings and is filled with joy even though He knows that the birth of this Son means the murder and the torture and the beating of the same Son. And He sees both but he chooses to focus on the joy why because he's not focused on just the day that he dies he's focused on the day that you would die that you would give your life to that one who was born in that manger on christmas that you would receive that present this is what paul was talking about he says now we see that god second corinthians five seventeen. now we see that god was through christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting their sins against him and so we beg as on behalf of god as if god himself speaks through us be reconciled to christ be reconciled to god what is he saying he's saying listen when god sent jesus the present that he gave on christmas day that he sent to earth was this that you and i would have the opportunity to become sons and daughters of god and that we could exchange that crappy gift that somebody gave you for the one that he put under the tree and put in the manger that day that the stars shone down on which is life in him every single thing that you've been given in this life that you were never meant to have you can exchange and jesus has the answer for it if you feel guilty, He has forgiveness. If you feel shame, he has, the, he has pride. If you feel like you're condemned, He has the blood which says that you're not condemned. And He has mercy and He has peace. If you have a lack of peace, He has peace. If you feel unjoyful, He has joy. It's all in Him. You can take every one of those gifts that you were given. It doesn't matter what somebody did. Listen, do not live another year of your life carrying around that present that somebody gave you that you really don't want. Feeling like you 
you have an obligation to keep it. Exchange it right now for the gift of Jesus and righteousness and new life in Him and understanding who you are as a son or a daughter of God. Because He looked down and He saw the day that you and that I would actually take that present and accept. That's why it says, He was reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting their sins against Him. In other words, when Jesus gave His life on the cross, on God's side, it was done. And your sins were no longer being counted against you. And now the only thing that is left is for you to actually accept and receive the gift that Jesus came and died for you to have. And that's why He says, now we beg as though God Himself begs through us, be reconciled to God. What is He saying? That God did His part. He did the hard part. He went out. He made the present. He brought the present. He wrapped the present. He put it in front of you. He made it look as good as He possibly could. The Gospel is so unbelievably good, it's too good to be true. It's why it takes faith to believe it. Because it's better than what you can get your head around without faith. He's saying, and God did all that stuff, and now we're begging as though God Himself begs through us. Receive the gift. Receive it. And it's not just one day going to heaven. That's amazing. It's actually being the child that you were created to be. It's understanding who you are in Christ. It's forgiveness. It's salvation. It's peace. It's joy. It's righteousness. It's having right standing in relationship with the Father. It's all things that were lost in the garden being restored. It's God walking and talking with His beloved creation once again. It's having the Spirit of the living God actually take up residence inside of me and live inside of me and knowing that the kingdom of heaven is within me and that God has a plan for my life. It's all these things. That's what Jesus came for. That's what the present of heaven is. That's what Jesus, the shepherds were preaching the gospel. It's the good news. And they're like, man, he's come and God's not angry anymore. And his position towards man from now on has changed. And it's a fixed position of goodwill. It's God saying, on my end, I'm not changing. Your sin doesn't make me look away ever again. It doesn't change the way I feel about you. I'm no longer angry with you. I hate the sin that's destroying your life, but I love you. And I sent My Son. And there's a day coming that He'll give His life. And you can exchange yours for His. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. It's that little baby laying in that nasty trough that animals ate out of. Take the glamorous manger scenes that you set up in your living room Go outside, find some dog poop, and spread a little bit of that in there. Get some old grain that's been sitting in the bottom of a barrel somewhere, wet and damp, and put a little bit of that in there. Get some mud, smear some mud around a little bit. Okay, you know this is the reality of where animals feed, where animals eat, and where animals sleep, and when it's cold out, where animals do everything else. That's where he's born. That's where he lays. Why? Because He came and showed us that there's nothing that's below Him. There's nothing that's beneath Him. And then on the cross, He would show there's nothing that He would ask of us to do that He wasn't willing to do first. And if He gave His life for me, I promise you, I can give my life for Him. That's Christmas. That's what it's about. That's the gift of Jesus. Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You that we can know You. God, that 
that You would send Your Son and You would watch Him born. You would see Him live perfectly. And God, that You would watch me be born and see me live so imperfectly. And that You would look at me and You would look at Your Son in all of His perfection, in all of His beauty. And then Your mind His life was worth mine. That You would actually exchange that for me. God, that it wasn't my idea. That I didn't come up with it and talk You into it. But because You loved me. And You saw that perfect baby Jesus that we celebrate. And You thought that His blood shed His life lived and died was worth it for me. And then that You would offer this free gift to me even with the chance that I may not accept it. But for the chance that I would, it was worth it to You. I thank You for that, Father. God, I ask that for anybody who's had Christmas be about not having money for presents or being stressed because of travel or expectations that are placed upon them or not wanting to disappoint people, God, that right now Your peace would come and crush it. That people would understand that it's so much more than that. That the hope that's inside of us because of the birth of Jesus, that the life that's inside of us because of His life lived, that that would crush any any feelings of restlessness or any feelings of of doubt or irritation. God, I just pray for people who say, I hate Christmas because they've made it be about so many things that it's not. That You would restore to them the joy of what really happened on that day. I just pray that over every person in this room, God, and over Your church wherever she's gathered right now. That we would truly celebrate that Christmas Day is the day that God once again came and physically dwelt among man to set all things right. To take our stripes. To take the chastisement for our peace. To take our sin, our shame, and our condemnation so that we could have the life that He lived so we could have joy, peace, love, righteousness. I thank You for that, Father. I thank You that that's what Christmas is all about. God, I ask that You would just explode that in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen.